from Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. I'll just pray for us uh, before we start uh, this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I'd like to uh, yeah, thank you for, for your word, the Bible. Uh, thank you, Father, also for uh, your, your warnings to us. Uh, Father, we know that uh, you, you warn us because you love us. Uh, so we just pray, Father, as we read your word this morning and as we uh, hear the message from, from Pastor Iggy, um, yeah, that, that we would heed your, heed your warnings, that we would hear it. And I pray, Father, that we would uh, humbly, humbly respond as well. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to start from verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were, were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he, that the Holy Spirit, angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not, those, if, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, since, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to see you here on this cold day. Is it winter yet? It's officially winter. I always get mixed up with the months here, uh, the seasons here in Brisbane. Uh, thank you for uh, coming to join us today, especially if it's your first time. There's a few new faces here. That's always such a joy. Um, but what a privilege it is just to gather as God's people, yeah, around the Word, to sing and to hear His Word together. Now, we're going through a series at the moment, if you're just joining us, called Rest for the Weary, where we're looking at what the Bible says about rest. And we, we need that in our world, don't we? In our hectic, overwhelming world. And we come to a sermon this morning called Why You Must Strive to Enter God's Rest. It's a bit of a funny title if you think about it. Right? Uh, let me start by um, just putting a statement out there which we saw in our first sermon. 
Rest is not doing nothing, okay? Rest is not doing nothing. (laughs) That was a statement we brought out from our first week where we saw that Adam and Eve were resting with God in the garden, but it wasn't like they were just lying around doing nothing at all. They were working in the garden, but somehow they were still at rest with God. There was a tension there. And this is the tension of the life that God calls us to right now as well. Have you ever thought about that? To come to Jesus, come to Jesus and right now find rest, rest for your souls. But at the same time, there's still something that God calls us to right now. It's hard to make sense of why you must strive to enter God's rest. And it's, how do you fit those things today together? But today's sermon is one of the most important. Because if we aren't careful, we could miss out on the rest that we were made for. Okay, well, let's make a start. If I can get this working, sorry, my fault. The first point that we're going to look at is stop striving. Stop striving. Jesus, as we looked at Jesus, he came into a world of unrest. He came into a context where the religious teachers of the day, the Pharisees, had been saying this to God's people. They had been saying, if you want to be accepted by God, you need to work harder. If you want to come in to God's kingdom, what you need to do is perform. You need to follow every single one of these laws, every single one of these regulations. Don't you dare break any of them. This is the way you are acceptable to God. That was the prevailing message of the day. And into this context, Jesus declares an incredible message. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Have a look at it on the slides. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying to all who are hearing him, you can stop. You can stop. You can stop trying to justify yourself with your good works. You can stop working yourself to the bone trying to be good enough. You can stop striving for acceptance from God. All you have to do is come to me and I will give you rest. This is what Christ is saying. Friends, Jesus changes everything. Last week, we heard from Romans 8, uh, from Pastor Matt, what comes through the death and resurrection of Christ. Deep, deep rest. The rest that comes from the truth that there is no condemnation in Christ. No one can hold anything against you. No one can declare you guilty in Christ. That the, the rest that comes from knowing that you have secure identity in Christ. He's adopted you as one of his children. Nothing will ever, ever change that if you come to him. The rest that comes from knowing that you are deeply loved in Christ. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. If God is for us, who can be against us? And rest, deep rest, comes from these truths. And here's the thing, these truths don't depend on what you've done. They depend on what Christ has already done. Friends, if you come to Christ, this is what you get. Rest for your souls. A rest which means that you can stop striving. You can stop. Because you are accepted already. 
Friends, it's not our performance or our good works or law-keeping that justifies us. It's Jesus. And isn't that good news? Remember that. Remember that. But this doesn't mean we sit back and we do nothing. Did you notice the language that Jesus actually uses in these verses? He says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, what's going on with this yoke language? I don't know if you guys know what a yoke is. not really something we use every day. This is what a yoke is. A yoke was a tool used by a pair of oxen uh, to um, share the work of tilling a field to get it ready for um, you know, sowing the seeds and things like that. And as Jesus talks about this yoke metaphor... Inherent to this metaphor is actually an idea of activity. Did you realize that? Of work. Jesus didn't say, take my bed upon you, or take my sofa upon you. And even though Jesus' yoke is easy, remember, and his burden is light, because he'll be with us. He's bearing the weight alongside us. Even though it'll be a joyful activity, a joyful work, because he's with us, we need to realize that he is calling us to do something. He is calling us towards a good work whilst we rest. Friends, here's the tension. We live between two ages, that we have rest for our souls right now, but the fullness of that rest is still to come. And while we wait for the fullness of that rest, when Christ returns, there's a call for us, a call to keep striving. Keep striving. The work we do while we rest with Christ has many aspects, the most obvious being the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. But today I want to focus on a different aspect of that activity that we are called to as we wait for final rest. And it's this. It's to persevere as devoted disciples of Jesus. To persevere as devoted disciples of Jesus. Our reading was from the book of Hebrews before, a book written to Christians, but Christians who are in danger of drifting away from Jesus. And here's the warning from them, Hebrews 3, 16. You can have a look in your Bibles. If you don't have one, it's coming up on the screen. Let me read it again, Hebrews 3, 16. Who were, the, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they will never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And friends, there's a warning here. This is a warning passage. As we look to the story of ancient Israel, this was a nation enslaved and by his mercy, God freed them from Egypt. You remember that story from Exodus. How? Well, through mighty works of power, miracles, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, impossible, powerful feats. The people saw firsthand how amazing God was. They witnessed this. And God gave them an amazing promise along with that. I am going to give you an amazing land where you'll have every blessing you could ever dream of. I will give you rest. And all you have to do is trust me. Trust me. And it doesn't seem like a big ask, right? Considering what God has already done for them. Considering what he's just shown them. But don't 
underestimate the sinfulness of the human heart. After a hard journey of complaining and whinging through the desert, on the very border of the promised land, Israel refuses to go in. They sent some spies in. You know, they're looking into the beautiful promised land. They sent some spies in. They got a report that the promised land was full of, you know, beautiful fruit and, you know, it was a land overflowing with milk and honey, but there was also fearsome-looking warriors in the land. And the people got scared. And they did not believe. What didn't they believe? They, they didn't believe that God would be with them. They didn't believe that God would give them victory like He promised. They didn't believe that God would give them the land like He promised. So they disobeyed and they refused to enter. It's a tragic story. <laughs> if you read Numbers 14, um, I'm all, yeah, Numbers 14 is the, uh, the story of the rebellion. Uh, this is some of the quotes. This is what they actually said, the people, on the border. They're looking into the promised land. They said this, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. God, wouldn't it be better if we went back to Egypt? What, let's choose a leader. Let's go back to Egypt right now. Come on, guys. Let's... This is what they said on the border. What incredible unbelief in God. What a serious disobedience to God. So God declares this. You shall never enter my rest. And that entire generation wandered around the desert for 40 years until they died. They never got to enter. None of that generation. Except for Joshua and Caleb, the spies who believed. The writer of the Hebrews put this story here to warn his readers, to warn us, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Hebrews 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Friends, we need to understand something. That right now, we are at the border of the promised land. We are at the cusp of entering the true promised land, our heavenly home. We are on the border looking in towards the final eternal rest of God, the new creation. It's just around the corner, friends. Ever since the start of history, the creation of the world and the fall where sin entered the world, creation has been longing for this point. This whole storyline, this whole Bible storyline has been reading towards, leading towards this point. And this rest is almost within our grasp. The new creation is almost here. This rest a satisfied, perfect relationship with our God. That's what rest is. That satisfied, perfect relationship with our God forever is coming. It's almost here. And God is telling us through his word, make sure you don't miss out. Make sure you don't miss out. Have a look at these verses here. Hebrews 4 verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following the example of disobedience. Make every effort to enter that rest. The ESV has strive to enter this rest. Strive. Make every effort. Work to enter this rest. So here's that tension again. As we come to Christ, we find rest for our souls right now. 
But as we rest in Christ, we also strive forward. We make every effort to enter the eternal promised rest of God. We need to persevere. And how do we do this? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 7, actually, if you look at verse 7, a little quote he's taken from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is the key. Friends, did you know um, heart disease? Here's my little medical lesson. All the doctors, forgive me, please. Uh, But did you know that heart disease is one of the biggest causes of death in Australia? I don't know if you knew that. Um, And uh, one form of that heart disease happens when what happens is the veins feeding blood into that heart, that life-giving blood, what happens is they harden up with fatty plaques. They harden up. They're not flexible. They can't move anymore. And the life-giving blood, they can't get in. And the heart dies. And friends, we need to make sure this doesn't happen to us spiritually. Because really the key to making sure you enter God's rest is making sure your heart is not hardened to the life-giving word of God. The key to making sure you enter God's rest is making sure your heart is not hardened to the life-giving word of God. And here's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Is God's word flowing into our hearts? Is it nourishing your heart? Is it giving life to your soul? Or does it have no impact? Does it just bounce right off? Is what you hear from the sermon forgotten by the afternoon? Are the Bible studies you do in your life group, are they temporary? Is your personal Bible reading simply a checkbox? I know so often I fall into this category. Friends, if you're not walking away from God's word more in awe of God than before you started, then something's not right. You know, could it be that our hearts are hardened? Is this our danger? Perhaps we are more like the Israelites than we think. Which is why this warning is here to warn us when we hear God's word, we are called to respond. Respond. And the required response is this, trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. These two things, they go hand in hand. Why didn't the Israelites go into the land? Why didn't they? If you think about it. It's because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust he would keep his promise. They didn't trust he was powerful enough. They didn't trust that he loved them, even though he had declared this by his word. So out of that mistrust came disobedience. Their action showed something about their hearts. Our call, friends, is to make every effort to enter the rest of God. Don't be like Israel. Don't miss out. Which means that we need to have soft hearts that will hear God's word. That will hear God's word. And not only that, that will respond to God's word. And the response we need to have is faith. Faith, not just one time. Friends, we need to get this. Faith is not just a one-time thing. It isn't just saying the sinner's prayer and that's it, you're in, that's done. Faith is every single day of your life trusting, waking up in full dependence on God for everything, every single day. Every single day trusting the promises of God. 
That's our, the first response that needs to come. Have faith in God's word. And this faith will also necessarily mean obedience to God's word. Because the people you truly trust, think about it, are the people that you listen to. Isn't that right? Our call is to trust God enough that we will obey Him and we will live His ways even if we might not think they're the best. Easy, right? Well, not really. You and I both know how challenging it is to keep persevering and hanging on, to keep trusting and obeying Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. Because as we seek to finish our journey, there are so many challenges. As we seek to go towards our eternal rest, so many things are challenging us. Hebrews 12 verse 1 acknowledges this. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12 acknowledges on this journey, on this race, actually, that many things will be in our way, tangling us up, hindering us, burning us, trying to stop us getting to the end. But we're called to throw them off. The picture here is of runners in a stadium with a big crowd watching them finishing the race well. And when you're a runner, every little piece of weight matters, right? You don't see runners in the Olympics wearing big puffer jackets and big boots going for their run, do you? You see them, you know, in their the high-performance outfits, you know? Every, everything that's hindering them is off. They even shave their legs to get that little bit of extra bit of aerodynamics. Friends, I used to run. I never did that, guys, but I wasn't that serious. But when you're serious, you put in every effort, right? Every effort. Throw off everything that would weigh them down. That's what they do. And they make sure nothing distracts them. They're not thinking, they're, they're not on their social media at the starting line. They're not, you know, thinking about other, they're, they're focused on the goal at hand. On the finishing line, nothing else matters for a runner on the race. And friends, this is the single-minded devotion we need. This is the striving that God calls us to as we head towards our final rest. And I wonder, what is weighing you down? What's tripping you up? Is there something that's entangling you? Stopping you? Taking your focus away from your goal of entering God's beautiful rest? What stops you from hearing and responding to God's word? That's a good question because that's our key to entering that rest. What distracts you from the beauty of the rest that awaits us in eternity? There's lots of things, I'm sure, for all of us. Um, I, I want to um, finish today by talking really practically about one of the biggest threats for us. I want to talk about digital danger. Digital danger. Friends, let me start by saying I love technology. I love it. I love it. I'm preaching off an iPad Pro right now. Love it. Um, I used to have little pit, bits of paper everywhere, and I used to write sermon notes and like every note I had, and it was a disaster. Absolutely. I love that. Everything's in here. Um, I love that I can do everything. I can take notes on here. I can check my email. I can, I can read books on here. I can watch a movie and relax and enjoy. I can message people on here. How good is technology? Technology is it's so good. It's revolutionized. We're, we're live streaming right now. People are hearing the gospel. How good is technology? There's so much good 
that comes out of technology. And I personally, I do love it. I love it. But I also hate it at the same time. I hate the way that it sucks my time. I hate the way it distracts me from the things that I should be doing. I hate the way that when I should just be there present with my kids, that I just feel the call of checking my phone. I don't know if you've got this love-hate relationship with technology. Does anyone else feel that, that love-hate relationship? And let me acknowledge this isn't a problem for everyone, okay? So some of you here, you don't struggle with that technology issue, and if that's you, I genuinely praise God for that. That's a gift. Um, But I want you to listen in, because you need to know the struggle that so many of your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have. There's actually, um, friends, there's actually a phobia that exists called nomophobia. Do you know what that means? Nomophobia, think about the fear of being without your phone. Yeah, it's a a genuine fear, right? Studies show this. 84% of the population believes they couldn't go one day without their phones. 80% of teenagers sleep with smartphones. Teenagers, come on, what's going on? Sleep with adults, I'm sure. This is happening too. Sleep with their phones in their bed. 58% of people don't go one waking hour without checking their phone. Let's, let's have a moment of honesty here, friends, and you're among friends here. Um, how many of you, uh, the last thing you do before you go to bed is check your phone, and uh, the first thing you do when you wake up is check your phone? Hands up, hands up. Be honest, be honest. We're amongst friends here. I'm doing this myself too. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, number one, we are being mastered by our technology. Technology is a great servant, but a horrible master. And I'm sure we like to think that we are in control of our technology, but let's be often honest, more often than not, it seems to be controlling us, doesn't it? If you're, is your default mode to reach for the phone when you have a spare moment of time? Just, just a default. I, I know it is for me. This is my struggle. The irony is, whilst I was writing this sermon this week, I was so distracted. I think Satan was really trying to get me you know, as I was writing this sermon and thinking about technology and the struggles, so many times after I finished writing one sentence, I would reward myself. Oh, yeah, I deserve to check right now and pick up my phone. Have a look. Get distracted for half an hour. Over and over again. I don't know if you've had that experience. I don't even know what I was hoping for. Hoping for a new message. Hoping for a new, uh, something new on social media to look at. Hoping, I, I didn't even know. I just kept picking it up. See, friends, our phones have conditioned us to want them. Uh, millions, millions of dollars are spent by social media companies to keep you on for one extra minute, because that's money for them. Yeah. Um, gaming and TV are designed to master us too. We're not just talking about phones. The achievements and incentives of the latest online games that keep us going and going as we try and get to the next level. The automatic streaming of the next episode of Netflix. So we tell ourselves, well, since it's already started, we might as well watch it. Do you know what Netflix said recently was its biggest competitor? You know? Sleep. Sleep. Friends, I say these things because it starts with the awareness first of what's happening. Ask yourself honestly, are you the master of your technology or is it mastering you? What would your behavior suggest? And the answer to this question matters because we are only to have one master, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Friends, 
His approval is the only one that we should long for, not the approval of the virtual world and their fickle opinion on our latest holiday or food adventure. Jesus' voice is the only one we should listen to, not the voices of social media and popular TV shows that try to polarise our thinking and opinions and don't allow us to think for ourselves. Jesus' values are what should shape us and our culture, not the media, which promotes increasingly more nudity, sex and violence as normal and good. Friends, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our master. And he alone is our master. We are not to follow anything or anyone else except him. The idol of technology, it it calls for our worship every day. But we are people of King Jesus. King Jesus, remember that. And he gives us the power to break free from this when you come to him as your master. That's the first danger to know that we are being masked by technology. And the second thing is our technology is taking our love away from Jesus. We love what technology gives us. The feeling of anticipation as we refresh to see what's new. The dopamine hit as we see one more new post like. One more person has liked our post. It feels good. The, the adrenaline rush we get as we emerge victorious from another virtual battle. The escapism we get as we enter the illusion of another reality through an excellent TV show or movie. And I... Friends, don't get me wrong, you know, there's so much to appreciate about our media, the creativity, the art, the beauty that comes through a well-made show or a movie. We can say things like, I enjoyed that, that was great. That's not a wrong thing, but here's the problem. Are we loving what technology brings us more than we love Jesus? Here's our biggest danger. Our biggest danger is this, boredom with Christ. Boredom with Christ. Author Tony Renke puts it like this. In this digital age, monotony with Christ is a chief warning sign to alert us that the spectacles of their world are suffering our hearts for the supreme spectacle of the universe. The supreme spectacle, when he says spectacle, he means a glorious display, a performance to be admired. The supreme spectacle is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the only spectacle that shall capture our affections, the only performance to watch that shall really captivate our hearts, the death, resurrection, and return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we become too engrossed in the visual delights that our technology brings us, our affections are actually dulled for Jesus Christ. Because we don't long for eternity with Him. We don't long for the joy of relationship with Him and our Heavenly Father We don't long for the deep rest that he brings that will satisfy our souls as we come to him because we think our phone, our computers and our TV are already giving it to us. We already feel good. We feel rested. We enjoy so much. We settle for so much less than we were made for, friends. I really think this is a spiritual battle. Satan is laughing Every time we reach for our phones instead of our Bibles, he's laughing. So what's the solution? The solution isn't to throw away all your technology. Don't worry, guys. I know you're feeling anxious at that point. You don't have to throw your phone away. Or maybe you do. I don't know. (laughs) You've got to think about it yourself. But we need to be vigilant. 
Master your technology. Don't let it master you. Some really quick practical tips for you, a few really quick ones. Check your screen time in your settings. I don't know if you know that. There's a function there. Check your screen time. Um, Set a goal to bring that down. You'll probably be shocked at what it is right now. Just set yourself a goal. Maybe you want to bring that down an hour a day, half an hour even, whatever it might be. Make a start there. Here's another one. Turn off your notifications. Just turn them off, really. Yeah? Maybe leave your phone notification on, like if someone calls you, that's it. But don't let that buzz control your attention. When it buzzes, you want to check, right? You can't help but have that feeling. You should be the one that decides, not your phone. Here's the third one. Take a break from social media. Detox from the cycle of having to craft perfect posts that portray your life a certain perfect way and free yourself from the anxiety of seeing how many people are going to like that post or not. Don't worry about that. Another one I didn't put on the screen here is don't sleep with your phone in your room. Just charge it outside. You can do it. (laughs) Uh, For those of you youth, CPU youth, uh, Jane's going to be giving a talk on this in more detail in a few weeks, so make sure you're there to hear that for the youth. Uh, There's going to be some great stuff there, important things. But let me me give... There's some really practical tips, but let me give you the biggest game changer, okay? This is the one from God himself. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is only one way that we'll finish this race well. There's only one way that we'll persevere till the end. One way to strive for his rest and to enter on that final day, because this is what it's all about, really. Entering his rest. Make sure you enter. The only solution is to keep coming to God's word, keep coming to God's word and beholding the glory of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That Christ has come and lived and died and resurrected. And that changes everything. That Christ has come to pay for our sins, to forgive every guilt and shame that we have so that we have no condemnation anymore. No one can hold anything against us. That we are now children of God. That we are so deeply loved by God that nothing, nothing in this world can ever separate us from Him. That we have rest, rest eternal, because Christ has come to win us that. He's done that already, and all you have to do is come to Him and trust Him. You have rest. You have joy. You have everything you need in Christ. He is enough. This is what Christ has done. He's given his life for us. Behold that. You'll only behold that as you come to the word. And the ultimate problem with technology is that it's drawing all our time and energy and love away from the one who really deserves it, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, nothing. there's no, no secret thing that's going to fix our lives, Okay. Only as we come over and over and over to the Word of God and hear it and respond to it in faith and obedience will our hearts be transformed. That's the only way. Friends, we have rest waiting. Remember this, that nothing in this world can compare to. All the things that technology offers is a tiny, tiny palk reflection of, of, all, of our heavenly rest. Approval. Acceptance. Excitement, enjoyment, connection, relationship. They will find their fullness only in the eternal rest that awaits us with our good and gracious Lord, 
Jesus Christ. We are so easily distracted from that fact. But like a smartphone screen that's made blank by the rays of direct sunshine, the more we look at the splendor of Jesus through his word, the more the temporary beauty of our screens will dissolve away. Friends, we need to make every effort to enter the rest of God. Here's the call, throw off anything. Throw it off, anything that hinders you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, because trust me, it will be worth it. Let me pray. Father God, we come to you and we ask for your help. We are sorry for the way that we are so easily enamored and distracted by the things of this world. We don't strive for our rest because we think we have it already right here in these fickle things that are so temporary. We need your help, Father God. Please help us by your Spirit. Change us so our eyes may be fixed on you and you alone, so that we, with the whole multitude of your people, will celebrate, enjoy worshipping you in that final day of rest. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Friends, take a minute to reflect now. We're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting and then we'll participate in communion together.